Constant Gardner, The Value of Reformational Thinking. I'm privileged to serve as the founder and president of an organization called the Ezra Institute. We're a confessional Christian think tank engaged in scholarship and intensive biblical worldview teaching and training, exploring cultural apologetics, Christian philosophy, and mission theology as they each grow out of that worldview, all in an intimate relation to the central thrust of scripture, the kingdom of God. Because worldview is a concept that we often make use of unconsciously, I'm often asked what characterizes or distinguishes our thinking about these issues within the broad rubric of evangelicalism. The term we have chosen that best describes the orientation of our thought is reformational due to our debt to the 16th century reformation and the many who built consistently on that foundation, especially the Dutch Kuyperian and English Puritan traditions and our conviction that Christian thinking must always be in reform in terms of God's word and geared towards cultural reformation within God's world. I've never tired of observing that the word culture shares a common root with such earthy words as cultivate and shows up in words like agriculture and horticulture and so on. When it comes to human culture, the question is not whether we will shape culture, but what kind of culture we will cultivate. That is to say, as image bearers of God, we are inescapably cultural creatures. We have been placed in this world as in a garden to tend, develop, and care for it. It only remains to be seen whether we cultivate it in a godly or a rebellious way. In what follows, I hope to show how reformational thinking understands and pursues the human cultural task in imitation of the original gardener and as an offering of praise to the living God. It is of primary importance to point out that reformational thought is not simply concerned with analytical thinking as such, but with what living life to the full is all about. For that is why Christ, who is at the root of our thought, was made manifest. Consequently, reformational thinking is not interested in narrow, intellectualized faith or scholastic, rationalistic apologetics. Though we must obey Christ's command to love God with all our mind, it would be a mistake to regard intensive and focused reflection on the full implications of God's word revelation as an abstract, speculative, intellectual exercise bearing little relationship to life in the real world and the everlasting matters of Christ's kingdom. On the contrary, our view of reality is very much concerned with every aspect of real life as God has created and is redeeming it through his son. Rigorous, philosophically oriented thinking in the grip of scripture is an act of faith and obedience directed toward the reconciliation of all things to God. That being said, because much of our thought heritage in the West stems from the ancient Greeks, Christians frequently tend to be suspicious of anything that smacks of philosophy as indicative of man's effort to place ultimate trust in his analytical thinking rather than in Christ and his word. This suspicion of pagan philosophy is justified. The intellectualism of the classical Greeks 
saw man's reasoning capacity and indeed thought itself in almost divine terms to the point that intellectual contemplation was regarded as the highest kind of life whilst manual work was despised. The abstract ideas of the philosophers qualified them in their own minds to be philosopher kings governing the unsophisticated masses. In contrast, though, the reformational perspective is that the most fundamental and foundational questions of life cannot be answered by man's theoretical reasoning alone. Confronted with the great boundary questions of life, such as the origin of all things, the nature of the cosmos, or the basis of truth and meaning, our analytical capacities alone are helpless. We stand in need of revelation and the kind of certainty that is rooted in faith in Christ and his word. That word concerns all of life in all its meaning sides, diverse relationships and structures, which come to focus in the heart of the human person, the religious root of our being. So reformational thought is oriented toward the totality of life and is not restricted to any one function of it, such as analytical thinking, while recognizing the limitations of human understanding in grasping that totality. One of the wisest people who ever lived, King Solomon, well understood the inadequacy of human theoretical inquiry. He actually said, who is the wise person and who knows the interpretation of a matter? When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that man is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun. Even though a man labors hard to explore it, he cannot find it. Even if the wise man claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 8. What Solomon seems to be describing here is the human inability to fully comprehend, to grasp in a manageable concept, the unity and totality of God's work, which is to say we cannot intellectually tie neatly together the meaningfulness of all God's works in creation and human culture by mere logical inquiry. As Solomon writes again, I resolved I will be wise, but it was beyond me. What exists is beyond reach and very deep. Who can discover it? We simply cannot independently discover the work God has done from beginning to end. This is because from a scriptural standpoint, we are creatures fully embedded in the creation we are investigating. We cannot lift ourselves out and above it. The root and transcendent unity of meaning lies beyond creation in the triune God. The origin, purpose and significance of our abiding yet changing cosmos in the fullness of its meaning is not uncovered by analytical human inquiry. It must be revealed to the heart by the living God. As a result, our reformational thought is rooted in the power of God and his revelation. Now, this does not mean that we cannot have an all-encompassing view of life. 
The grand narrative of the Christian faith revealed in scripture is indeed a total story rooted in the creation of all things by the living God. But this comprehensive view is not humanly constructed from analytical thought. Rather, it is grounded in the givenness of primary faith knowledge, which contains true, inescapable and irreducible ideas that we cannot manage without because they form the indefinable categories of our thinking. Life, love, beauty, energy, motion, logical distinguishing, and more. This faith knowledge includes biblical ideas like the human heart as the invisible center of our person, God's eternal relationship as Trinity, his creation of all things from nothing, his providential government of all things by his law word at every moment in all creation, his covenantal love and redemption, his everlasting truth and justice, the realm of heaven and angels and demons. We cannot fully comprehend these truths and they are not inferred from other beliefs, but are part of the givenness of God's revelation to us and in us. This real knowledge goes beyond our ability to fully grasp in simple concepts. Yet this primary practical religious knowledge given in creation and in scripture is the real foundation for every other kind of knowledge. So reformational thought is not a form of rational theology for a Christian intelligentsia constructing an independent knowledge of God and the world from theoretical inquiry. It is founded in acknowledgement of God's revelation of himself. Now this recognition means that reformational thought is confessional because its foundation is the Christian confession of faith as it seeks to answer the big questions of life. Stated broadly as a world and life view, that confession can be summarized as the creation, fall in Adam, and redemption of all things in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the language of scripture, we confess the all-pervasive reality of the kingdom of God. This knowledge is not a development of professional theologians, but constitutes the first principles of Christian life and thought. The coherence of the rich diversity of creation we experience every day is given to us in the divine order of creation and the unity of that coherent diversity in creation is the transcendent fullness of all things given and created in Christ Jesus. That is, Christ is the origin who contains all things so that the rootedness of creation in Christ is the most important feature of the creation in its essence. This same Christ is the destination of all creation for he is reconciling all things to himself and will one day liberate the totality of creation which holds together and consists in him from its subjection to futility. To abstract our thinking from this faith foundation in any area of life is the essence of secularization and the spiritual uprooting of reality. At the same time, reformational thinking emphasizes that every other worldview is, by definition, 
equally characterized by a religious confession because all answers to questions of origin, meaning, unity and destination within creation are answered by a conscious or unconscious, non-Christian or Christian faith perspective. All worldviews are inescapably religious and a conscious articulation of an attitude to life or ethos at the spiritual root of human existence. The Christian philosopher Hermann Doyerverd called this ethos a religious ground motive. This means that in Christian apologetics, the contest is not between science and scripture or reason and faith, with Christians struggling on the back foot to show that despite their faith, they are still rational. Rather, faithful apologetics recognizes a confrontation between religious worldviews, between different philosophies of life. The task of apologetics in reformational thinking is to show that in every area of thought and culture, apostate faith is destructive of meaning, truth, and life because it takes some entity within creation and absolutizes it to divine status as a substitute origin and root of meaning. This produces hopeless contradictions and antinomies, making human experience unintelligible and unlivable if consistently applied. All sciences and human thinking is undergirded by one religious motive and worldview or another, and only the Christian standpoint is one that does not self-destruct under its own weight. Now, this confessional basis does not mean that reformational thought tries to privilege the science of theology or apologetics over other disciplines and vocations. Theology is an important subject and vocation, but is only one among many equally important fields in which to study, work, and serve God in terms of a Christian world and life view grounded in a scriptural confession. Theology as a science is the human theoretical interpretation of revelation and faith. It is not revelation itself. God's revelation is God revealing himself in creatures, that is, in creation, in the Bible, in man himself, and supremely in Christ, who is the firstborn of creation, both God and man. His revelation is the norm and normative content of our faith. Biblically, to have true faith is to believe, trust, and serve God with the whole of our being. Without revelation, there is no possibility of faith because faith, the function of believing, is always oriented in response to divine revelation. Those who reject God's norm for faith have not stopped putting their faith somewhere, nor have they lost their faith function. They have simply reacted to revelation by placing their faith elsewhere. Faith remains the guiding function in all of our lives. It gives form and shape to all we are and do because it refers us to the religious root of life concentrated in our hearts. Now, while reformational thought is not seeking to turn everyone into theologians, it is concerned with authentically understanding and expressing our faith in all disciplines and areas of life in terms of God's scriptural norm for faith. 
True faith is worked out and developed by practicing faith, not just hearing lectures or sermons, because believing grows by doing, by applying, by testing, trial and error. This means that whether we are bankers, butchers, homemakers, heart surgeons, midwives, truck drivers, carpenters or investors, our life and work is shaped and directed by our faith as we respond to God's revelation in obedience or disobedience. The scriptural distinctives of genuine faith make it abundantly clear that human beings have a real world task as God's image bearers called to reflect his will, purpose and character back to the rest of creation. In the biblical world and life view, a certain dynamic has been written into creation because all things are created from, through and unto God. Everything is oriented toward the maker of all things in total dependency, the one in whom everything consists and is brought to its destination. This includes human beings themselves who occupy a unique and royal station within creation. This privileged position is rooted in Christ. Man is an image of God. The first man, Adam, was created as head of the race and in himself represented and comprehended the unity of all human beings who would come from him. Scripture is clear that we were in Adam who was son of God. Thus, in an important sense, we are royal representatives of God the Son, and we too were in paradise and fell into sin in Adam. It was here we fell from our original unity in Christ. It was and is man's creaturely bond with the human nature of Christ, the last Adam, in the depth dimension of the heart, which brings us into his central position in creation. Redeemed humanity's royal role is thus bound to Christ's identity, for we are joint heirs. If we fail to recognize this, we entirely miss the religious root of cosmic reality and our place in it. We then end up living much of life as though Christ did not exist, as though we are not in him, and as if he is not of central relevance to our life in the world and every discipline. Reformational thought further recognizes that the task given to us in Christ is to participate in his ministry of reconciliation, the reconciliation of all things to God. If we are truly in him, not just by virtue of creation, but also of redemption by rebirth and faith, this ministry is inescapably bound to us. Christ is the true vine. God is the gardener. And we are the branches called to remain in him and bear fruit. In a broader sense, the whole world is God's garden and he is restoring paradise and glorifying his creation through the renewing work of Christ. The cultural task is thus illustrated beautifully for us in scripture in light of creation as the garden of God. For the sun was there from the beginning and walked with the man he had formed in the cool of the day in the world's first garden that the Lord himself had planted. Adam and Eve's task was to tend and keep the garden and to exercise dominion in the earth. This meant working in and watching over what God had made, turning creation 
into a God-honoring and glorifying culture. Because of sin and rebellion, our first parents were forced to leave the garden the Lord had planted to struggle in a creation now subjected to futility. But at the same time, God made a promise to send the son of man, the seed of the woman, the root of Jesse, the true vine, the last Adam, to restore the garden and fellowship with the divine gardener. To that end, he called a royal priestly people in Abraham and promised them a taste of paradise restored in Canaan, a land flowing with milk and honey, if they were obedient. But due to rebellion, that garden was also forfeit. At last, the first gardener, the Lord of the vineyard, enters his garden again to walk with men, this time as a son of Adam, born of a virgin. He entered the garden of Gethsemane, and yet his disciples slept, once again leaving the divine gardener alone in his garden as he knelt and offered up prayers and supplications with strong cries and tears. There he confronted the death which he had pronounced on his loved ones in the first garden and then went out to taste the bitterness of death for everyone. At the cross, a remarkable exchange occurs concerning God's garden, the restoration of paradise. One of the criminals crucified next to the Lord, now under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit asks, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replies, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Here, the kingdom of God and paradise are synonymous. Christ explicitly reveals that on this very day, the paradise lost in the Garden of Eden by the first Adam is being reinstated by the last Adam. Soon thereafter, Jesus cries out, it is fulfilled. It is at this moment that all the Father's requirements for redemption and the restoration of creation are fully met, and Jesus' specific promise to the converted criminal is realized. At that very instant, in Christ, all God's people in history had their passports stamped for resurrection life in paradise restored. Scripture records that at this precise moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, ensuring the believers direct access to God, even as Adam and Eve had enjoyed direct access to him. Paradise is thus again accessible to the people of God, the children of faith. As a result, we are given this assurance. I will give the victor the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in God's paradise. Revelation 2, verse 7. The resurrected Christ is mistaken for the gardener in the garden tomb. And now that great gardener has been exalted and is seated at the right hand of God, pruning his vines and bringing all things into subjection. Yet there is more. Reformational thought recognizes that in Christ, we too are raised up and seated in the heavens, participating in Christ's ministry, rule and authority, as he subordinates everything to himself. As such, the same Lord walks with us again as his people by the Spirit. God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself 
and we are in him restored to our calling to cultivate creation into the garden of God. Jesus called this cosmic garden the kingdom of God, and we are entrusted with the gospel of this kingdom. Reformational thinking is therefore enthralled with the marvel, mystery, and privilege of our royal priestly calling to represent the covenant love, will, and purpose of God to all creation in every sphere of life and thought, delighting in the lordship of the constant gardener.